Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Here we are on Soccer Morning at worldsoccertalk.com. Ready to dive straight into the world's game here at the home for the world's game, wherever that is on your device that you listen to via podcast or if you watch us on YouTube. Hi, subscribe, wherever that button is that says subscribe. That's something they can do, right? They can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Do that. We're getting ready to pump out some new content at the Soccer Morning YouTube channel, and it would be, um, it would be awesome if you subscribed to the channel ahead of all of that. Uh, today's big show features Mr. Andrew Gibney, French football expert, uh, BBC, Bleacher Report. I think he's the BBC. Let me, get, let me get the man's credits in front of me. Bleacher Report, 442, Sports 360, and he's uh, the um, founder of French Football Weekly, which is your home for everything French football en anglais, which, of course, is the, the language I speak. My French is extremely rusty. So we will have a discussion with Mr. Gibney about the opening weekend of Ligue 1. That, had, that already happened. That was, that was this week that happened already. We can go back and talk about... Some actual games, and let me get rid of that noise. Before we get to uh, Andrew Gibney, let's dive into some of the news. Yesterday in the Premier League, City Championship contenders obviously opened up their campaign with a 3-0 win over West Brom. Two goals from Yaya Torre, one from Vincent Company. Pretty easy work for Manchester City. This, again, comes on the back of several of the other title contenders not really impressing on the opening day. Arsenal lost. Chelsea drew at home. Manchester United scraped by with a 1-0 win over Spurs. Statement win for City? Hard to say after one week, one match. Might not mean a whole lot, but it's out there. And now they move on into their season. Reports out of Mexico say that Marcelo Bielsa has turned down an opportunity to coach L3. Remember, Bielsa... Excuse me, quit Marseille after one match, a loss to Cannes. We will talk to Andrew Gibney about that, uh, about his decision to quit, about where this leaves Marseille. And speaking of where this might leave Marseille, other reports out of France indicate that Jurgen Klopp has turned down some interest from Marseille as they scramble to look for a new manager, saying it was too, quote unquote, too early. Klopp has uh, passed on the opportunity to continue his coaching career in France. No offense to French football, no offense to Marseille, a big club in Ligue 1. You have to imagine Jurgen Klopp is a guy that uh, is looking for something different, a little different opportunity perhaps in a league that's more like England, perhaps. Or, I don't know, suppose there's a national team job out there that might entice Jurgen Klopp. He has been fairly tight-lipped since leaving Borussia Dortmund. No idea where he will end up. But it definitely won't be Olympic Marseille. European Super Cup today from Tbilisi, Georgia. Yes, Tbilisi, Georgia. Barcelona, Champions League winners against Sevilla. Europa League winners. No, uh, no Neymar for this game as reported previously. He has the mumps, which I don't think are anything to laugh at, right? Like I don't, I don't know if I've ever known anybody that had the mumps. And the mumps are something that you get vaccinated for. And I, I think I read that Neymar did get a vaccination for the mumps. It's not like he was one of those kids that never got vaccinated. Somehow he still got the mumps. This just goes to show, get your kids vaccinated, people. 
Go and get your kids. This has been your public service announcement from Soccer Morning. Uh, you saw this yesterday. I'll reiterate it here. NBC has signed a six-year deal to broadcast the Premier League across all their various digital platforms. This continues the relationship that they've had for a couple of years now and is uh, contrary to some reports that said a coalition of Fox Soccer, ESPN, Univision, and Discovery Communications was the in, was on the inside track to grab the Premier League rights for this next contract. No uh, reports on how much this is costing NBC. I imagine it's a lot of money. They've put a lot of eggs in that particular basket, and uh, they've done a fantastic job uh, with the with the product with the Premier League. Whether or not this means anything for American soccer, don't really care about that. The Premier League's not going anywhere. American soccer fans like the Premier League. They watch the Premier League in good numbers. NBC has decided it's worth their investment. Uh, they make all of the games available via uh, the, the, the various channels that they have um, in their portfolio. They are digital platforms, which include, obviously, NBCSports.com and uh, the NBC Live. What's the live app called? It's a, there's a name for it. I don't remember. I have it on my phone, maybe. Certainly can put it on your tablet. Live Extra, that's exactly what it's called. Thank you, Producer Trevor. That's why he earns the big bucks around here. NBC Sports has done a fantastic job broadcasting the Barclays Premier League for the, ba- for the last two seasons, and we are extremely pleased that they have invested in our U.S. rights for the seasons 2016-17 through 2021-22, said Richard Scudamore. Basically, he said, cha-ching, 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 and then he's going to go to Vegas, throw some dollars around, make it rain. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. MLS Deputy, Pre- uh, Deputy Commissioner and President Mark Abbott scheduled to be in St. Paul today. We're looking for some developments out of St. Paul when it comes to this stadium chase for Minnesota United. You've heard on this program, perhaps here or on Sirius XM F- uh, FC, I can't remember exactly where, Brian Korstad came on this I'm sorry, Wes Burdine came on this show. Uh, we usually have uh, Brian. We got Wes Burdine this time. And outlined the stadium chase in the Twin Cities with Minneapolis dragging its feet, having some issues in terms of the legislature. St. Paul has stepped up and made it very clear that they'd be happy to have a Major League Soccer stadium in their city. Uh, So Mark Abbott will go on an exploratory uh, journey, meeting, interview, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, whatever label you want to get it, uh, give it in, uh, in Minnesota today. We'll look for again. We'll look for some developments out of that meeting to see if um, Minnesota United gets anywhere closer to actually putting shovels in the ground and building their stadium as they look to join MLS in the next couple of seasons. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk to Andrew Gibney. We will talk French soccer. There's a lot to go on here, including the Marcelo Bielsa saga. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Sunday, I'll be calling the Philadelphia Union against Chicago Fire game on Rabble.tv. I'd like to invite you to hear my thoughts and analysis live during the game at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comment sections. If you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. 
Or why don't you create your own broadcast and call one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Philadelphia against Chicago on Rabble.tv. The race to win the MLS Supporter Shield and to qualify for the playoffs is heating up, so what better way to enjoy Major League Soccer than by playing one of the most unique fantasy soccer games available with Euro Fantasy League. With EuroFantasyLeague.com, don't be confused by the name. You can play MLS games for free, picking your best MLS starting 11 and subs against like-minded MLS fans such as yourself. Plus, you play in the MLS draft game just like your favorite NFL draft games. As the name suggests, you can also play a different fantasy game by selecting from six of the major European leagues, including the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Liga, the Dutch Eredivisie, and the Portuguese Premier Liga. So imagine picking a team that can feature the likes of Ronaldo, Aguero, Pogba, Zlatan, Rooney, and Messi, as well as other world-class footballers with your chance to win prizes, up to $5,000 for the winner of the season prize game. This is your opportunity to show your soccer expertise by playing against other fans from around the U.S. Set up your free fantasy soccer game today at EuroFantasyLeague.com. Again, head on over to EuroFantasyLeague.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, turning now to France. Talk to our friend Andrew Gibney. Find him on Twitter at Gibney underscore A, and he writes on French football for many a website and is a good friend of the show. Andrew, how are you? Very well, Jason. How's yourself? I'm well. I'm sure you're, um, I'm sure you're giddy with excitement that we actually have real competitive football happening in Europe and specifically in, in France. Um, before we get into some of the, the other underlying storylines or, or overarching storylines with the uh, uh, managerial changes and the like what was your major takeaway here i mean we see a 10-man psg team get by uh in the first weekend with a one nothing win uh I, i'm reading over at french football weekly uh, about nice and and their overhaul of their of their lineup what what stood out for you yeah I mean, a few things psg did well to get a one nil well away at leo i think it's the first time in five years uh the champions have won on the opening day. So a bit of a, a road bump swerve there. Nice, there was positive signs, a lot of positive signs from Monaco as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of question marks over there, squad of, sort of five players gone, sort of 12 brought in, the Champions League qualifiers to come. Then Leon looking a bit sluggish after their abysmal pre-season, which you try not to read too much into, but when it sort of carries over to the season, you start asking questions about what they're going to do this season when the Champions League starts as well. And a really strong win for, for Angers on their, their opening day in Ligue 1. Toulouse surprising St Etienne. It was a bit of a, a dismal game. And uh, Bordeaux struggling against Rams. Uh, 1-0 up, lost two goals in the last 10 minutes. So really, one of those weekends where you just can't, you don't want to read too much into it. It's really early on, but some nice storylines to emerge. Um, you know the the champions winning obviously a good sign for them, and they did that without Zlatan and and Angel Di, uh, Angel Di Maria has yet to be integrated into that team. Mm. So uh, what what kind of I mean this is the, again this is that period that odd period of the European season the first month or so where you know we don't know if these are going to be the actual teams that compete for most of the year because they're going to make some moves. Certainly PSG is going to spend money. They already have on Di Maria. If they there may be other movement, but we've got some players in. I know um, uh, Mathieu Valbuena has returned to, to France and playing for Lyon now. So yeah. how are these players settling in? 
Yeah, PSG is the interesting one. I'm not sure they're going to spend that much more money before the window closes. Uh, Luca Dean's going to go to Roma, so they'll likely get another left back in. The Dame Maria is going to be the big one, and there's a lot of sort of where is he going to fit? How is Blanc going to play? That's going to be interesting. Valbuena is a really a fascinating one. Only just over a year ago that Marseille retired his number, and now he's going to play for Lyon, which with Lacazette and Claudio Bovin, Fakir. There could be some really exciting football to go there. Yeah, and Monaco, as I mentioned, is one they've made a lot of changes. Some like Stephen Al Shirawi uh, coming from Milan. There's sort of a clause in, in the, the option to buy a loan deal that he needs to play 15 games before they can they'll sign him, and he's got sort of a chance at redemption, a lot to prove. But the early signs are really bright, and there's a lot of, a lot of new players, as there always is. But there's a lot of really excitement about. I mean, everyone thinks PSG are going to sort of go all the way and win it, but below that, it's really wide open. And there's, with the Champions League, with Monaco and Leon, with that extra commitment, hopefully for Monaco, that it could open up for a couple of teams to hopefully push for the top three. We never want to make any uh, grand conclusions after <laughs> one match, Andrew. I mean, that, that's the, the instinct is to jump ahead and say, oh, this means this and this means that. N- yeah. Nothing really means a whole lot, especially, as I said, some of these teams not yet complete or may have some outgoing players, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but based on, uh, on, on this, um, you know, is there a potential here to, to see some of these, some of these teams that, that maybe weren't so fancied coming into the season to, to, you know, to, to build something in the beginning? I mean, certainly, you know, if I'm just comparing this to England, uh, we make the, we talk about the Premier League, several teams at the, that you would expect to be at the bottom of the table come season's end got started with a, with a point or three that, that will be crucial to the end of their season? Yeah, it's really hard to see anything changing at the top because you look at teams below, they finish outside the top three, like St Etienne, Marseille, Lille, Bordeaux, they've not really improved and you can't see them having the money to vastly improve their team. Uh, St Etienne have made two two good signings and Neil Mopé from Nice and they've got Jean-Christophe Barbeck and one from PSG. Both could make a massive impact, but both really young. And outside of that, the bottom half is what fascinates me every season because you can get to the last few weeks and the, the top, so the bottom seven, bottom eight, even the, the whole bottom half can still go down. So there's no point of ruling out people like Twa and guys like Ajaxo because it's so close down there. Mm. It just takes the little signing, a good away win, and you really, if you can win two or three games at that bottom half, you can pull yourself out and then quickly go go straight back down into the relegation fight again. So that that's what's going to be fascinating all the way through because a lot of teams are quite so together in that bottom half. Can you give me a, a little bit of background on uh, Gazalek Ajaxio? Because uh, you know, having looked at the the French season coming in, having seen that they were coming up, and and having heard them mentioned uh, previously on the show. I, I didn't wear. I wasn't really aware of who they were, where they were from, and the fact that they share a town with an with another club who's recently been in Liga. And, and this, we're not talking about a, a a very populated. I mean, we're not talking about a big city here. No, even the island of Corsica itself. Uh, the start struggle to have. You've got uh, Sporting Club Bastia and uh, AC Ajax, you're the two bigger teams, and then you've got two another team from Bastia and then the, the second team from Ajaxio to have four teams sort of competing is, is, is quite good for, for the, the tiny island but they, they had the smallest budget in League 2 last season and managed to get up and now they've got so the, the, even more just this even smaller budget for, for League 1 compared to the rest and they're just quietly going about they've got a good coach uh, in Terry Laurie that the put things together nicely they don't go they're not going out with their means really small stadium the, the, 
it's, it's a very sort of fairy tale sort of story. And even last season, no one knew a lot about them in, in League Two as well. We've got a couple of guys on French Weekly who concentrate on League Two, and they were new to them as well because they have spent a lot of time down in the war leagues. So great little story. It's going to be really interesting to see how, how they get on. Starting uh, with a defeat, obviously, as so they got a point against uh, Twa, which two newly promoted sides you've got to get a point there. But yeah, you can't see them staying up that, but in, in league on anything is possible. And if a team's well run and they sort of have a belief and don't go out with their means, they have a chance. And at this point, obviously, one weekend that's all we can really say, but it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Absolutely fantastic story. Um, whenever a, a team that small with that bu- with a budget that small and a stadium that small, I mean, it's just it, the romance is there. They're, they're not going to make any noise in the league, they're going to scrape to try to just stay up. But it's always fun to see those smaller clubs uh, make it to the top level. Yeah, all right, let's, let's talk about one of the biggest clubs in France, and that's Marseille. They, they, they play one match, they lose to Cannes, and Marcelo Bielsa quits. Um, par for the course when it comes to Marcelo Bielsa, <laughs> Andrew. Uh, where does, yeah, it, where does yeah, it leave Marseille? No, no one saw it coming. No, no matter how unpredictable Marcelo Bielsa is, the, the noise on Wednesday, Thursday was that they'd come to an agreement. He was technically the coach without a contract. Uh, his contract ran out on the 1st of July, so he was in charge of the team. With the, with the contract, it's still not agreed, but the noises out of Marseille were that it was going positive, uh, just put pen to paper, and then he comes out and apparently he handed his resignation letter to Vincent Lebrun on the way to the, the press conference and then told the world that he was gone and the players were finding out via Twitter and text messages, which is no way to leave a club and no way to let people know. And just Everyone was sort of gobsmacked. I, I was catching up on the, the Monaco Nice game, so I wasn't I had my eye on Twitter and I was like, has that just happened? And beyond anything that Bielsa has done, that's another level of shock. And, and uh, you know, except that this is because of who he is, because of his reputation, certainly tactically, he's a guy who's probably not going to struggle to find another job. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, no. you would, you know, you, you would hope on one level. I, I don't know. He's got the, the savant type of label attached to him in a way. It's, he's a guy that can go about, his business as a coach and as a you know uh, obsessively committed to his craft completely alienate the people around him his bosses his players on occasion and then still people clamor to, to hire him um in the end though how does he lead like where is marseille now as opposed to when marcelo bielsa took the job and whether or not they f- hire somebody shortly i'm assuming that they're going to look and, and we'll get to somebody whose name came up recently they they need you know they're going to need to figure out a way to, to to fix the damage now. Yeah, he's left him in an absolute mess, and I'm quite critical of Bielsa. I don't drink from the the cup of the church of Bielsa. Uh, you look at the other teams he's been in charge of. There's no legacy Athletic Bilbao, Chile. I suppose he's the only one he has left something because they've gone on to to great things. But he's left Marseille in an absolute mess. Sold all these players. Like, Paye and Bula, Gignac, and brought in players that the Bielsa wants for his system, for the way he plays, a lot of young players, and then people like Abu Diaby and Lasana Diara, which were baffling at the best of times. And now you've got a squad that's been tailored for Bielsa, and he's gone. <laughs> Whoever comes in might not fancy the same players, they might not have the same ideals, no one really has the same ideals, and it leaves them really in such an awful position. And 
this this can't have been something that was decided in his head between Thursday and Saturday. He must have had an ideal, had a notion, and he says that he left because they tried to change some details of his contract that they agreed. But surely that can be talked out. You can be more than one meeting to to solve this. If you've gone an extra month without a new contract, you can go a few more weeks. And if you're committed to the cause, you can resolve it. It just seems typical Bielsa. It's knee-jerk. It's, I, I really, it sits, sits wrong with me the way he's done it. If you want to leave, leave. Don't do it after one game when you've brought in all these players, when you're taking a club in a certain way. And now they're starting again. Biggest club in France, biggest supported team in France, massive stadium, huge support, just left in, in Tars. It's uh, it is stunning, and again, this is not so, this is not the first time he's done something like this. I mean, I'm I'm just uh, just to rem- remind myself of what happened at Athletic Bilbao. He had a training ground incident with some people who were doing construction around uh, around. Well, he had. I, I mean, it's, this is this is this is the stuff that you can't make up, Andrew. It's it's something about construction crew and then getting into it with the uh, with the site manager. Then the president gets. Uh, gets upset at him for what he, he did in public, and then he decides, okay, I'm going to quit. Um, and again, this is of his own making. And, yeah. and, and, it, and it seems that there's some noise now. People in the club are coming to speak about what's happened. And someone today has said that basically if, not, if something didn't go Bielsa's way, he was threatening to leave. He's holding the club, ran, it's a blackmail, ransom yeah. to speak. Yeah. That if, if you don't do this, I'm gone, and then where are you going to be then? And you can't run a club like that, especially a club like Marseille. This is not some small team that he's doing them a favour. They're one of the, the biggest teams, usually one of the biggest teams in Europe, still one of the biggest teams in France. And he's, apparently he was on the phone to Rafa Benitez on Saturday asking about uh, de Guzman, who they're trying to get from Napoli, and then quits like a few hours later. It's just, yeah, there's nothing that makes any sense. And part of me thinks long-term, Marseille will be better off without him. Yes, but that, yeah, short term a mess, short term a disaster, short term this season scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. Long term probably better off. And again, yeah. let this be a warning to other clubs around the world who may take a look at Marcelo Bielsa for whatever good he can do, and however, uh, you know how how no matter how fun the soccer is. I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, and and how uh, progressive and attack minded he is when he puts his teams out. That doesn't always make up for the, the behind-the-scenes problems. Yeah. Maybe a national team is in his future. We'll, we'll see. We'll, there's rumors out there that Mexico is interested, although I've seen reports he's turned them down. Um, but that could change because yeah. he's Bielsa. It could change tomorrow. <laughs> um, the, yeah. the, 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 co- the, the name that's been connected already to Marseille, and again, they're scrambling. I imagine they're making a lot of phone calls. And they are the biggest club in France, uh, barring PSG's money. They're going to want to go find somebody who uh, fits that club, if it's the mentality that they want to win. They want to win now. It has to have this sort of gravitas that's necessary, Andrew. The name yeah. Jurgen Klopp has come up. He's reportedly said it's too soon. If it's not Jurgen Klopp, and, and first of all, would he be a good fit? And second of all, who would be their second choice? I mean, the Klopp would be a fantastic appointment. It's just it seems very far-fetched that he would dive into a project in the, in the state. It's in Marseille, you're really starting from the very bottom. I suppose there's the similarities with Dortmund there and Van Sonnenbrunn has called Marseille's project the Dortmund project so the similarities are there but I think Klopp knows it's not right and I think his agent was saying yeah it's, it's not the time 
it's difficult because now you're you're in the first week of the season. If if you're talking five six weeks ago, two months ago, you're looking at Christoph Gaultier and Etienne Gorvenek from Gangomp, but they're not going to leave the clubs in the, the same way that Bielsa has. So you're now looking at Eric Gerritz, the Belgian coach who has been in charge before, but he's not the best health, and Marseille is not a job that <laughs> without his stress. And then names like of uh, Walter Mazzari. Uh, Italian coach and uh, Cesare Prandelli and these names are, are big names but it's going to be difficult for them to come to France and get used to everything that comes of that and know the league and yeah it's, it's a very difficult job for someone to take I think who who's available who's going to leave their club at this point of the season it's, that's what yeah. the, timing. Take, the timing is terrible the timing yeah. is a disaster <laughs> uh, who's sitting at home doing nothing that, that would want to step in and, and again has uh, the faculties to handle the job. Andrew, would you put Marseille, um, you know, I think in the maybe in the English speaking, certainly in the American side of things, maybe we're not necessarily always aware of, of how big a club Marseille is. Would you put Marseille in the same uh, elite group of clubs that, uh, you know, that I don't know, a Bayern Munich, a, a Manchester United, a Barcelona are in, in terms of the level that a manager needs to be at, not just in, in not just tactically, not just in his ability to deal with players, certainly. Um, high-profile, highly-paid players, but just in the, his ability to handle the press and present a certain image. Because, you know, this is the thing that caught David Moyes. Fantastic coach, not ready to handle the Manchester United Crucible. Andrew, did they, I, they may not be. Go ahead. Sorry, I lost you for a second. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, they're a club of that stature. They need someone who's strong, who has their own... They need to be strong enough to handle the fans because the pressure comes from them. You're getting sort of 70,000 at a game. They have their own expectations. Marseille should be in the top three every year. Uh, with the turnover, with the stadium, with the, sort of, the expectation, all of that, they should be. It doesn't mean they're going to be. And Bielsa found that out through his own methods. But they, they have something like 12 million people in France follow Marseille. And whenever you go to away games... No matter where it is, there is a huge support. And it's not even a travelling support. It's people from that area. I, I, when I was in Lille, uh, it was going to be an interview with Joey Barton. There was nearly 200 Marseille fans outside the hotel who were all from the north of France. The other side of the country, they, they are a hugely supported team. And they need someone strong-minded, like Bielsa, but maybe not as stubborn, but someone who can handle that in that sort of opposite way of David Moyes did and can be the man to put down a foundation and build this team, mm. players will always be attracted to Marseille because it's Marseille. It doesn't matter where they finish in that table, you will get players from any team in France outside of maybe now Monaco and PSG and they will go there. You look at Dimitri Payet leaving Lille and, and Tovan leaving Lille to go to Marseille because of the potential. They want to play for this team on the biggest stage and they want to get them there and they need, now need someone who's going to spend three, four years building it up that they need to be back at the top. It's going to be um, an interesting uh, storyline there in Marseille. For the time being, who's, who steps in and, and how does that uh, affect their immediate prospects? Yeah, it's uh, Frank Passy who's going to be the interim coach. He used to play for Bolton Wanderers, uh, for English-speaking people there, and he's been at the club since uh, since back when uh, I met him when, when we saw Joey Barton. He was his assistant coach then to... Uh, Ellie Bob and Jose Amigo. He was sort of the, the continuity man with, with Bielsa being there. So he knows the club as well as anyone else. He's the, the right man to step in there and maybe try and uh, fan the, the flames a little bit. It's, but yeah, they need someone long-term. They need to make sure it's the right the right 
the decision rather than just making a, a snap judgment that's what's important next and whether the next man's going to be the right one or whether it's going to be next summer or this sort of right off the season it's really difficult and yeah putting an absolute hole through what Bielsa has done to them I'm just I, 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 I'm looking at French Football Weekly again by the way if anybody's interested <laughs> English language coverage of French football there's not a better place to go than French Football Weekly uh, dot com and it's great because there's um, on August eighth the story is <laughs> oh, poor, poor Mo, yeah. uh, failure is not an option for Marseille or Marcelo Bielsa and then two days later <laughs> Bielsa shocks everybody because he's gone just like that um, you know it, it, it's this is going to probably dominate the discussion around Liga for for quite some time but but again we come back to PSG being the strongest team in the league. They're going to get Zlatan back. Um, I, I talked recently with somebody because Zlatan had made some some sort of, uh, you know, a little bit of noise about maybe leaving um, Andrew. And there was, you know, he's always the kind of guy who likes to sow the seeds of, uh, of intrigue. Um, he's just that type of personality, which yeah. is part of the reason we love him so much. He's got a, another year on his contract, I believe. He, he, you imagine he'll see this out. And then take a take a chance on on something like an adventure, whether it's China or the U.S. or I don't know, maybe Turkey, which Galatasaray, something like that. Yeah, the one year left in his contract, he will leave uh, next summer. I think there's no doubt in that, and I think it's more because if he, if he left now, PSG would have to replace him. And, and you're sort of asking, who is there? Uh, I've been speaking recently with uh, a couple of friends about well, who are the best strikers that are available that you could buy in Europe, and there's a real limited options and you're looking at 12 months down the line they could possibly go and get Alexander Lacazette from Leon, and then the rebuilding starts again but to, to let Zlatan go now although it's, it's up to PSG they would have to accept a bid and what are you going to pay for him with one year left that makes it worth their while that makes it very very unlikely he will stay and then I really I, I think he's going to go to MLS I think you're going to be stuck with him right. over there Jason in the, the Zlatan circus that comes oh, with it so much fun I, I can't wait I mean that's, <laughs> that's something that MLS needs more of while uh, well we you know uh, maybe Marseille fans are, are kicking themselves for what happened with Bielsa or kicking maybe wanting to kick Bielsa um, he certainly makes things more interesting in France we don't get nearly enough of that over here Andrew um Briefly, uh, you know, I guess we'll finish out this discussion. Just you know, taking a snapshot of the league table right now. Again, one match played. This is this means nothing. Don't read too much into it, etc. and so forth. But Angers being at the top, they, they they probably should go ahead and take a picture and frame this because that's not going to last. But they are there because of uh, alphabetia, alphabetizing. <laughs> is this a team that uh, is that a team that can do anything this year? I mean, pr- promoted. I think they'll be just looking to stay up. Jeez, I think that's their only goal. If they can get to like 35, 40 points as quick as they can, they'll be happy with that. They're a well-run team. They've, they've replaced people they've lost. They've brought in some decent names with, sort of, with league experience. But yeah, they they won't be anywhere near that top half by the end of the season. It's more looking at the, the top half now. I can already see... I mean, two or three of those teams still being at the end of the season yeah. uh, whether Marseille managed to get out of the bottom half that's a big question but PSG undoubtedly the, the heavy favourites hard to look past them yeah. and then it just depends on Leon and Monaco how they, they cope with the extra football because at least Monaco will at least get into the Europa League and, and it's the kind of thing they should be going to, to try and win to then get that Champions League place so they're going to be in for a long campaign as with Leon, Snetti and two it's hard to see this at a top eight changing from from last season. Mm-hmm. There's no one with that 
breaking star or big signing that's really going to push on. But it's it's where they finish in that order. That's what's really going to be really intriguing as the weeks go on. All right, I had one more question here. Oh, that's right. The, the self-serving American question, and it's about uh, Alejandro Bedoya at Nantes. He's, he's played well over the course of the past couple of seasons. They had, uh, they had a transfer ban for a while. It affected uh, certainly their ability to strengthen that squad. Not, not a big budget anyway, necessarily, Andrew. Uh, where do you see them this year? I'm quite excited to see what not do because the transfer ban's gone. They've got like Kobe uh, Sigforsen from from Ajax, who has a reputation. Emilio Emiliano Sala could be a twenty goal striker. He could be a two goal striker. He really is hit and miss. But if he finds form, he could be really good. People like Andre and Thomason really impressed me from everyone. They've got some really interesting players all over the the starting eleven. Some really good young talent. In this season, I think they have to push on because if you if you say, oh, we'll, we'll, we've consolidated for two seasons with a transfer ban, now we can buy people. If you're a president or you're signing the checks, you want to see some movement going forward. If they can get top half, I think they'll be really happy with that. Mm. And then, because it will be close, can they push on? And if PSG win the Cups again, there's a potential Europa League place there to be won. And I think Nantes are definitely in the running to be one of the surprise teams to okay. possibly break into the top eight. And that, that, uh, that feeds into the next question, which is we, we've heard some, some odd speculation that Bedoya may be actually making a move back to the U.S. and, and to play in, the, play in MLS for the first time. I'm not sure why he would do that at this point, especially if he has a position and a, and a place in the Nantes team that, that will allow him to see plenty of playing time. Yeah, and they, they can't afford to let, to let him go. No. He's a really good player for them, he's versatile, he can play all over that midfield, and I think for him if you give Norton this season, now that they can buy players, now that they can push on if they don't show signs of improvement yeah, there's a potential return well, a move to the MLS, then definitely but right now it's, it's worth sticking with Norton, and that, when that crowd there the bourgeois, they, they love him he, he gets on well with them it's a very good atmosphere, it's a nice place to play football, right now there's really no reason to leave, and there's there's only an upside this season from Norton, hopefully. Not unless MLS uh, is uh, deciding to oddly pay him way more than he's actually <laughs> worth, which they've been doing recently. Andrew Gibney, uh, find him writing about French football all over the place. Beach, Bleacher Report, uh, Sports 360. What else did I miss, Andrew? There's like four, five, six. So, four, four, two. Four, four, yeah, two. Anyone else that wants to pay me, That's I'm available. <laughs> That's the hustle. Go uh, and also check out French Football Weekly. Make sure you do that as well. Gibney underscore A. On Twitter, Andrew, uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, we'll talk to you soon. It's a pleasure as always. All Thanks, right. Jason. There goes, uh, there goes Andrew. Let's take a break. When we come back, open up the phone lines and talk to you about whatever's on your mind on a Tuesday. It's Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. This Sunday, I'll be calling the Philadelphia Union against Chicago Fire game on Rabble.tv. I'd like to invite you to hear my thoughts and analysis live during the game at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comment sections. If you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast and call one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Philadelphia against Chicago on Rabble.tv. 
The race to win the MLS Supporter Shield and to qualify for the playoffs is heating up, so what better way to enjoy Major League Soccer than by playing one of the most unique fantasy soccer games available with Euro Fantasy League. With EuroFantasyLeague.com, don't be confused by the name. You can play MLS games for free, picking your best MLS starting 11 and subs against like-minded MLS fans such as yourself. Plus, you play in the MLS draft game just like your favorite NFL draft games. As the name suggests, you can also play a different fantasy game by selecting from six of the major European leagues, including the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Liga, the Dutch Eredivisie, and the Portuguese Premier Liga. So imagine picking a team that can feature the likes of Ronaldo, Aguero, Pogba, Zlatan, Rooney, and Messi, as well as other world-class footballers with your chance to win prizes, up to $5,000 for the winner of the season prize game. This is your opportunity to show your soccer expertise by playing against other fans from around the U.S. Set up your free fantasy soccer game today at EuroFantasyLeague.com. Again, head on over to EuroFantasyLeague.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Oh, the things you miss if you do not watch the YouTube version of the program. We are live here on a Tuesday. I almost said Monday. Feels like a Monday. It is a Tuesday. Phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. See? Feels like a Monday. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. You have thoughts, concerns, questions you'd like to get in with your thoughts and concerns and questions and observations. And uh, I'll, I'll thank uh, Dr. Corrence on Twitter, C-O-R-E-N-C-E, for reminding me that we are in week like five or four of Precky Watch. Where it, hashtag where is Precky? Hashtag where is Precky? Guys, I know we've uh, had some fun with this. Hashtag where is Precky? Eliminating many, many possibilities around the world. He's not here. He's not this stadium. He's not in this city. He's not at this Chipotle. He's not this Starbucks. Where is Precky? Anybody, somebody, where is Precky? The man was supposed to be taking a job somewhere, top level of the game, England, something, a month ago. We still don't know where Precky is. Richard, where's Precky? Um, he's not at my job when I'm sitting in the car right now. Okay. I can talk to you. All right. You don't <laughs> want to talk about Precky. You want to talk about the events <laughs> leading up to that NYC FC New York Red Bulls game. Go ahead. Yeah. One of the things I noticed yesterday, it was a lot of the places that normally don't cover soccer, like the ESPNs or the, the, the blogs, or even the, the, the old guys who say doing the World Cup stock is not popular. And they all said the same thing that, Soccer's now finally made it in America because now we have hooliganism. It's like, really, this is what it took for us to, for you to you guys to notice soccer. Apparently, I hate that. I hate a that attitude so much. I hate. I don't know if they're like. I don't know if they're making a joke. I, I don't know if some of these outlets are, are tongue in cheek in this thing. I, look, the the fight itself, and there's a very good item by um, Leander Shalakins, friend of the show at Yahoo.com today that you should go read. I didn't get through all of it, but I got through most of it, and the gist is very important. He said while the fight itself is fairly laughable i hit you with a sandwich board you threw some garbage at me whatever it's it's that it's the premeditated nature of it is the fact that you guys went looking for a fight it's the fact that there was supposed to be retaliation for something that happened at yankee stadium a month and a half ago i mean that's the part that builds into this ridiculous notion 
that hooliganism is going to be a thing here. And I don't want it to be a thing. And I don't want these outlets like you're talking about, Richard, to have anything to say about it. Like, if you, don't, if you want to cover soccer, cover it right. Don't cover it because some guys, like, threw some slaps. Well, it's like, it's like it goes back to, ironically enough, the, the film Grishy Hooligans. In the film, the English guy says Elijah Wood. That's right. All you Americans know of us on the stadium rights on TV. Yeah, right. But a lot of, for 95% of Americans, this is all they know about soccer. Yeah. It's either David Beckham or Hooligan fights in England in 1981. That's all they know. Yeah, I know. And to, the, and to them, and, then so, and the only time they hear about soccer is the World Cup or, oh, by the way, top 10 highlight on Sports Center is a bicycle kick. Yeah. This is all they know. So who can fight to them is like, wow, this is the soccer is the coolest thing we've ever seen. Well, I mean, there's some there's some people of that mindset, and we probably don't really need them. And there's some people that will use this to, as a scare thing because, and this was Leander's point. There's still MLS may have all of this ardent support in the form of a lot of younger people uh, standing in supporters groups, jumping up and down, cheering, banging drums, doing whatever, doing their thing. Not all of those people are interested in, yeah. in any sort of violence. Not very few of them are actually. But even then, those people are only a small group, uh, a small proportion of the greater MLS fan base, which still includes a lot of people taking their families out to a soccer match. Still does. I mean, I yeah, had, I had sure. a guy call me yesterday and say, um, you know, I've been uh, I've been watching in, uh, European soccer for a while now. We went to our first LA Galaxy game. I took my my son. It, he was six. I had the greatest time ever. Look, I want that to be able to coexist with the people in the South Ward who want to stand up and scream and throw up double fingers. You know, I mean, you know, that stuff. Yeah, watch your kid. You take your kid to any sporting event. There's certain things that they're that they're going to be exposed to that you're just going to have to explain. But we don't need to add the fighting element to it. That's just stupid. Yeah, I, I agree, hundred percent. All right, man, uh, Richard. Uh, hopefully, the 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 and again, this is all part of that process, right? Of just the. The world sort of being educated about soccer, Americans being educated about soccer, and it becoming more culturally uh, not not accepted, not important, just there. Like it, it's there when you, even if you are not. Thanks for the call, Richard. I got to move on. If you, no e- even if you're not a baseball fan, even if you're not a football fan, if you grow up in the United States of America, it is all around you. That 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 sporting thing is all around. There's a lot of stuff about our culture that's like this. But I'm just using sports as a direct example. Even if you do not give a rat's whatever about the NFL, you have been exposed to all of the team names and their colors and where they play and some of the players because of advertising and the like. You understand the basics of that sport and that culture. Some of that through high school football, which is so uh, predominant here. Same thing for, with baseball. It's Little League and, and all. Those things are just pervasive. When soccer becomes truly pervasive, that's when the media will learn how to cover it properly. Andrew, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. Sorry, I wanted to change uh, subjects a little bit. Uh, this might be a little technical, but in the wake of this uh, FIFA scandal, uh, I was kind of curious on your thoughts about the uh, one country, one vote policy. I mean, we see CONCACAF get caught up in it, and I kind of wonder what a role it played. Because my, what I think about it is basically the it's not a really democratic, uh, system kind of ironically because uh if you give one country one vote you're giving a small group of people one vote in a country like the u.s or china that has a big population yeah 
Yeah. And they, yeah. they only get one vote too. So the argument, uh, the argument, <clears throat> the or, argument against yeah. the the arguments against one country, one vote is obviously that that is not representative of the the amount of people and the amount of influence that these countries should have based on you know all of these various other factors. Is it? I think I think at its essence, it's the most democratic, Andrew. But what you're saying is true that it, it fosters an undemocratic situation in the sense that it makes it very easy for a country of with very little interest in soccer, let's say that, or very little budget or very a very small population to end up with somebody who's willing to sell their vote, who's willing to trade their vote, who's willing to put their vote into a group with other people voting in the same of, of a like mind and therefore controlling the interest of, I don't know, CONCACAF, uh, if you're a Caribbean nation, when... You know, of course, the United States and Mexico are the dominant countries in the region, and Honduras and uh, and Panama should have probably more pull. Costa Rica certainly, based on a, a soccer uh, footing. So I, I get what you're saying. I, I think it's definitely played a role. I just don't. I don't know what the fix is. I mean, I, I don't see the easy fix well, here. So I, I think I think I don't know. You look at like uh, U.S. government. Even we've got the Senate, which is two from each. Each state, and then we've got. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, Andrew. Are you going to go down a a bicameral road here? You're going to go down a bicameral road because if you add more people (laughs) to FIFA to vote on things, you're just adding more chance of corruption. Well, people can say that, but I just don't think that's actually the case. I think just because you're adding more people, you're not adding more corruption necessarily. If you're representative, what I think what happens now is the reason we have this corruption is because. There's yeah, like you were saying, there's this split where there's countries that have more power than they representatively should, and so what happens is that the people ar- broker for that power. Well, the, and again, if we had it more split up or more evenly represented, we wouldn't be dealing with it. But this is, and, and this is why Seth Blatter has maintained his power base for so long is when you when you have one country one vote, that means everybody is represented. If you give more power or you, or you tilt things and you give more votes to a bigger country or a, a more traditionally a powerful soccer country, then you risk, you risk uh, uh, you know, keeping those smaller countries on the fringes. Now their interests are not being represented at all because now they're being the, – it flips the other way. We go from one extreme to the other. Well, and, and again – Go ahead. I think the I think the counter argument is that their interests are being equally represented. Or, and I I know I know the idea. Oh, we want to develop, and Seth will say that all the time. Oh, we developed all these countries, but I just think that uh, I wonder what the development has been for the bigger countries and how it's held back the development for bigger countries and all these kind of. I don't know. It just seems like it's uh like like there could be something done in that, uh, especially in a time like this and. Or we had some kind of long standing nation because of its policy. Yeah, that like gets it's, it's willing to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah, di- it's, it's a difficult question. We're going to see a new president come next early next year. Whether that changes anything, I don't know. By the way, <clears throat> when it comes to FIFA reforms, I'm trying to keep up with what's going on on Twitter. I've seen a list. Um, the members of the FIFA reform panel include a guy whose dad is a member of the executive committee. Uh, includes, hold on, I'm, I'm looking at my friend Richard Whittle uh, from up in Toronto. He says, it's deeply embarrassing. There are three executive committees on the committee. FIFA are incapable of change. FIFA needs yet another reform panel. Why they need another reform panel is uh, beyond me. We had IGC and several others. Basically, uh, pointing out 
that uh, the the people being assigned to reform FIFA are the same people who benefit from the corruption of FIFA, and you're unlikely to see any real change. Andrew, it's just it's just sad at this point. Yeah, I guess the thing I was gonna the main point I was gonna ask you is I've heard a lot of commentators kind of champion the one vote one policy, saying it's the most fair. Kind of like you were saying earlier, I just don't think that that's the case. And I was wondering if you think that that that's the case, and. Uh, do you think it would make a difference if it were representative, or do you think that's... It would make a difference. The kind of nuclear uh, scenario that SEP always uh, says will happen, oh, the, the little countries will go into oblivion, and no one will ever support them, or something like that. I don't I, know, what do you, I, what, will, what do you I will, think I will say that one country, one vote creates more problems than it's probably worth, but a representative body, uh, a body that's rep- that has votes uh, based on... The, the Again, what, what do you tie it to, Andrew? You tie it to population? Okay, well, now China has more votes than anybody, and they shouldn't because, I don't know, because yeah. soccer's not as important. The population, by football impact, money, maybe, who knows? I mean, now, you're, talk, but, but now you're talking about, yeah, like now you're talking about various metrics that are not only difficult to judge, but now are contentious, and, and it's a matter of, well, okay, how many votes or how much weight should Germany's vote have if you know, they are not the biggest country, but certainly one of the most uh, influential soccer-playing countries. How much weight should a small country like the, like the Netherlands have, considering their history and how important that sport is and how many players they develop, versus what their actual population is? I mean, th- these are very difficult questions. I guess, I, I guess my point is sometimes the simple solution isn't the most fair. It can be the least fair, and although it's complex and might have problems, that's, I think that's the way you get to the most fair solution a lot of times. If you make it complex, and it'll have its own problems, but at least it'll be more fair and, than this simple kind of who cares, one one country, one vote, and that kind of thing. I don't yeah, know. Maybe it's, maybe it's too much, but who uh, knows. Yeah, thanks for the call, Andrew. I mean, they're, 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 he, he's asking really important questions that I just don't have any answers to. I mean, that, and I know there are people out there with reform ideas that have presented, here's the structure we need, this will fix the problem. And... Forgive my cynicism. While I understand that on paper, sometimes these new uh, these these new formats make a lot of sense, I wonder about the practice. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make a change. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't forge ahead and do something different. And that there certainly needs to be something that happens at FIFA. You know, we've got the nuclear option, which is blow the whole thing up, start from scratch. Okay, well now who fills that power vacuum and how does it get filled and how quickly does it get filled and where do those people come from? Because I think what, you're gonna, what you would end up seeing if you, if you blew up FIFA and said we're going we're gonna to close down shop, we're going to start over. First of all, you've got a lot of legal entanglements in terms of the property and who owns the rights to the World Cup and whether or not you have to start a new tournament called something else and these uh, sanctioning of all these countries and whether or not they would choose to be part of an umbrella organization again. Uh, you know, so many different moving parts here that make that very, very difficult. But even if you do that, who steps into the void to take control? The same people who are in charge now because it's going to be natural for the member, former members of FIFA, now defunct, to turn their eyes to people they know have experience running world soccer. So you're going to get Michelle Platini, who's going to win the FIFA presidential election more likely next year, filling that void anyway. And then what have you really done, if, except for maybe changing the voting structure? And maybe that makes a, a massive difference. But it's, ah, man, it's such a mess. Such a mess. I mean, I, I'd almost rather not think about it at this point. I mean, it's important, and we cover it here. And 
it will always be part of where we are in in terms of the game and, and its growth and its importance in the world. It, it's necessary to pay, to pay attention to the people in charge of running it. Just I, I get I get angry. I get angry. Maybe I'll go watch this video of Giovanni Dos Santos bouncing his pitch at the Dodger game yesterday. He uh, his official his first his first pitch he threw out for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, because now he's uh, you know, one of the more famous people, sporting people in L.A. I mean, I think that's probably true. What? Kobe Bryant, uh, Albert Pujols. Is he more famous? True or false? Giovanni Dos Santos is more famous in Los Angeles than Albert Pujols. Right now. Right this second. He just arrived. He's only just now playing for the L.A. Galaxy. I don't know. That's a good question. 646-832-832. 3909. I'm missing some other stars. I mean, clearly there's uh, basketball players uh, that I'm missing. There's no football players in L.A. I don't think any hockey players rate higher than Gio. On the L.A. sporting celebrities pecking order, where does Giovanni Dos Santos rank? Well, that's my question to you people. 646-832-3909. We're talking about FIFA governance, blah, 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 blah. We're talking about Brawls at bars in Jersey. Don't want to talk about that either. Don't want to. Uh, don't want to talk about that. Trevor says one of the partners at Sidley Austin Concacaf's council is on the FIFA reform committee. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean that is that is that good? Bad? I guess that's probably bad, right? I don't know. I, I'm kind of over this whole FIFA thing. I'm over, I mean, I'm not, because it's, again, it's, it's, Im- it's going to impact how things are moving forward. Well, certainly whether or not the United States ever hosts another World Cup is going to come down to FIFA reform and the like. We can talk about Donald Trump looking to buy Atletico Nacional of Colombia, a Medellin club. This is a report, I'm seeing it over at MLSsoccer.com. Media report out of Colombia contends that the outspoken businessman and U.S. presidential hopeful, I'm not going to laugh, who played a bit of soccer as a young man, say what, is a prominent part of a group seeking to buy powerhouse Colombian club Atletico Nacional. This seems like an odd choice of investments for Mr. Trump, but hey, whatever. It doesn't mean I'm going to like him now or that, you know, it makes him more likable, say it that way. Sure, some of you out there are Trump supporters. I don't know. New York-based billionaire supposedly uh, ready to partner with Italian real estate mogul Alessandro Proto to take control of the celebrated Medellin-based club. They've had uh, people like Juan Pablo Angel at the club. Juan Carlos Osorio was once coached was once coached there uh, after he left the United States after his time with the Fire and then the Red Bulls. Uh, I'm not sure, again, if this is a smart thing for him, but good, 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 right? Here's a question for you. uh, uh, Donald Trump is a very rich man. Do you want Donald Trump to invest in Major League Soccer? Yes, no, or hell no? This is the question. The answer is available, I think. Uh... You know, we, we, I talk about the need for entering and drama in this league. I don't know that I want Donald Trump involved. Mark Cuban, yes. Donald Trump, no. And here's part of the reason why. If you've ever seen Small Potatoes, the 30 for 30 documentary 
on the rise and fall of the USFL, you'll know you'll understand my attitude about Donald Trump. That goes beyond his personality or his uh, his his political ambitions. It's not about that. It's about his choices as a businessman involved in a league like the USFL. He essentially killed off the USS, uh, USFL all by himself because he chose to push, once he got involved with, the, I think, the New Jersey Generals, he chose to push for the USFL to directly challenge the NFL, playing the same season schedule. And that, uh, yeah, that is, they ended it. And there was a, there was a lawsuit, obviously, uh, over the, uh, the, the monopoly, an antitrust lawsuit against the NFL. What they think the USFL won, but it didn't matter. And after everything was all said and done, they ended up with a check for like $2. <laughs> I think I'm remembering this right. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Andrew Gibney, for his appearance on the program. Go follow him on Twitter, at Gibney underscore A. As he said, he will write on soccer anywhere someone will pay him. He does an excellent job for various outlets, not just covering French football, also covers some women's football in Europe. So go check that out as well. Uh, we'll be talking to you guys tomorrow. Another big show on Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jason Davis, and I'm out. See you tomorrow. Bye. Did my invitations disappear?